Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 186. An extra long Royal Caribbean cruise sounds like a perfect idea, and when you combine two cruises into one vacation, that amounts to a very fun and long vacation. Back-to-back cruises are something many of us dream about, and some even go ahead and book. This week, we look at a recent back-to-back Navigator of the Seas cruise that one of our listeners took and discuss what their back-to-back experience is all about. We also have lots more of your Royal Caribbean emails to share. Here we go. When we talk about Royal Caribbean cruises, I often joke with the only thing better than a Royal Caribbean cruise is two Royal Caribbean cruises, which is only surpassed by three Royal Caribbean cruises. And, you know, a back-to-back cruising in general is a lot of fun. And on today's episode, we're actually talking to somebody who just came back from a back-to-back cruise on my beloved Navigator of the Seas. It is Jose Pena. Jose, welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I know Jose for a long time on Periscope because, of course, we do daily broadcasts on there talking Royal Caribbean, but this is my first time getting a chance to actually talk with Jose about uh, his recent back-to-back experience. And, Jose, this was – we were talking a little before the show, but this actually isn't your first back-to-back cruise. Uh, No. uh, We uh, originally had a a med cruise in 2015, and we switched that to a back-to-back cruise on Jewel of the Seas in 2015. So it's safe to say that when you went on your first back-to-back on Jewel, you were kind of sold on the idea of doing two cruises? Oh, no, yeah. I mean, it, it, the best thing about it is just I don't have to do anything for two weeks, and I get fed. <laughs> so, the, well, and the, the getting fed part, by the way, is the most important part of that equation. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I love the itinerary, and you know how you get the feeling after, you know, if you're doing a seven-day cruise – Around the sixth day, you're like, oh, I have to leave. My yeah. wife and I was just start laughing because we're like, oh, we got like another eight days or seven <laughs> days. So we don't care. Like, just having a great time. Absolutely. You got to embrace it. I like it. So what do you do when you do a back-to-back? Let me start with this. Do you always do the same room or are you okay switching rooms? No, we, we try to do the same exact room. We want as little work as possible. Talk to us about the the turnaround day, that, that day between – the, after the first cruise, but before the second cruise, walk us through what that experience is like for someone who's maybe new to a back-to-back cruise and doesn't know exactly what goes on. Well, what happens is if you let, let's let's start with if you have the same room, you have the same room, you'll get a a letter from a Royal Caribbean delivered to your cabin probably on your last evening, saying that there's a consecutive cruisers that meet up at a specific time, usually around nine or nine thirty, and they'll tell you the room and what they do is. You go there, you uh, wait, and they'll and I guess security will escort you out to uh, to I guess the um, the terminal, mm-hmm. and they'll quickly check you, and they'll give you you know they check you, and then after that they'll give you new cards, and then they'll send you right back up on the ship, and you'll be the first ones on the ship. That's and, awesome. I mean, if you have the same room, you don't have to do anything. If they switch rooms, basically, from what I've been told, they basically, you could hang your coats on racks and and the attendants will help move all your stuff to the new room, wherever that's going to be. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. I mean, obviously, if you have the same room, that's probably the ideal situation, but not the end of the world either if you don't have to do that, as you mentioned. And they're they're pretty supportive of what you do there. How easy was it? Was it? I don't even know if easy is the right word. 
how was the second time doing back to back versus the first time? Was it very similar or was it different? I mean, were there lessons that made it better? You know, to take us through kind of your looking back on it now. Is the second back to back easier, better, different than the first back to back you do? No, it actually gets better because you know what's going on. So let's say you do a back to back seven day cruise. Mm-hmm. And in the first week, there's a show you really wanted to go to or you want to go to a specific restaurant, but you don't have time. More than likely, that show will be available the second week. So it's not such a big deal. Oh, I missed the, the show. I'll catch it next week. I didn't go to this dining room. I didn't get to eat at this restaurant. I'll go next week. So it's it's really you have much more time to do the things that you really want to do and really enjoy all the amenities that's on the ship. That sounds great. I mean, it really, I'll be honest with you, Jose. The reason why I haven't done a back-to-back primarily, among other reasons, but probably I'd say the number one reason is if I'm looking at my year and I'm looking at my cruising for the year, while I would love to do a back-to-back cruise, I generally prefer to have to split it up and have you know one cruise at one point in the year and that second cruise somewhere else in the year so I have I could spread it out more. Why, why don't you go with that theory, or what's your reaction to that kind of a, a, a comment? Well, I, I just like the fact that I'm on the ship for so many days. The fact that I'm not at work, mm-hmm. I'm having a great time on the ship, and it's just more days of fun. I mean, you could have a, you know, you could split up a seven day cruise early or later in the year, but my wife and I prefer having it back to back. And how things go with my, my company, if I take it on Thanksgiving, I only work three days, so I take it during that week. Then instead of missing two weeks worth of work, I only miss seven days instead of 10 days. And it helps with vacation days. So back-to-back is probably the best for us. I mean, the best thing for you would be take a quick three-day and then take a back-to-back. Perfect. That's my yeah. recommendation for you. Yeah, and I appreciate it because you bring up a really good point is that not all back-to-back cruises have to be back-to-back seven-night cruises. There are a lot of three and four-nighters, or five and some, you know, four and five and four, or some other variation. So yeah, there is definitely uh, a lot of uh, differences here. And when you did Navigator, you also this was not a, t- a traditional seven and seven, right? No, um, it ended up being a seven-night cruise, and it worked out that the next week was five days. It just worked out that way. Wow. So. Uh, and that's what I could take, so I took it that way. It just you know, it just worked out that the schedule was was such that they didn't have a seven nighter, but a five nighter. Yeah, it's better than nothing. So five nighter is perfect. For us. <laughs> Absolutely. What would be if someone's going on their first back to back cruise? Jose, what would your advice be for them? What's like the one thing that stands out in your mind is like, oh, you definitely got to do this, or don't do this. Me personally, it, it's up to you. My wife. She just wants to rest. So she'll go to the room and she'll take a nap and just relax because she'll have so much time to be on the ship that she can enjoy all the amenities um, at her own pace. Me, I'll go everywhere. If you, I'll just go any main floor that has something important. I'll just start walking through the entire deck. Once I'm done, I'll walk up to the next deck and keep on going up until I get to the top just so that I know where everything is at and I have a good idea of what's going on. I mean, some other stuff is if you have a specific um, preference in terms of food or dining preference, you can go to the main dining room. But it's more just going to all these little the talks and so that you can just get associated with what's going on with the ship. 
Makes total sense. I mean, I, I I know exactly where you're coming from. And speaking of the ship, let's talk about Navigator. See, because, of course, I love talking about Navigator. In fact, if you're listening to this episode when it's coming out, the week it comes out, rather, uh, I am actually on board Navigator Seas right now. Yay. And uh, I wanted to hear from you, Jose. What were... Let me ask you this. What was your what was your what stands out in your mind? You when we say navigator the seas, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh two things. I, I love the Royal Promenade. Mm, yes. You walk into it and you see just how huge it is. And basically it's the it's basically the center of a of a city. If you think of a city in the main thoroughfare, that's what the Royal Promenade basically is, because it has different shops and it's just where everything is, is usually happening. Uh, the other place that my wife and I loved is Boleros, just because it, every single night, it music. There was there's usually so many people there that it'll take you a while to get through to the other side. So it was just it's just an amazing experience. Yeah, Boleros is a wonderful bar, and I mean, first of all, they have a great menu selection of, of things to choose from, but also, arguably, even more importantly. At night, it really comes alive because they've got such great live music, dancing. If you really like, like, if you love dancing, it's a, it's the perfect place for you. If you like enjoying live music with a lot of things going, a lot of people like really partying, it's a great place for it. I think a vastly underrated area when you're talking about you know nighttime entertainment, inevitably, especially on, on Navigator. I agree with you. Uh, it always seems like there's just a huge party going on in Boleros, and it's it's a fun place just to go hang out, whether you're dancing or not. You know, having a mojito and enjoying the ambiance, I think it's 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 wonderful. It, it's it's a great place to meet people. It, to me, I find it better than the R bar because I every in, in Navigator the Seas, it's the R bar is a uh, floor ahead of the um of Bolero. So I would go, sure. and around seven to seven thirty, I would see people there. But around eight or nine thirty, there'll be so much more people at Boleros, and they'll just stick around until. Uh, until I guess the till probably close to one o'clock in the morning when they stop playing music, live music. So, and if you love to dance, Spanish music, then and that's what my wife and did basically almost every night. Just dance merengue or bachata or salsa, and just just have fun. It's like I said, it's fun to just even just to enjoy it. It's beautiful music to listen to, and the fact that the, I love live music on board. And obviously, you're you you probably agree with me as well, Jose, about it. And it, it is definitely a very cool. Experience. I agree with you. I love Boleros on board, and uh, so a lot to enjoy about that. Um, so we talked about uh, Boleros. What about your favorite restaurant on board? That would have to. Let's see. You know what? It's probably going to be. Um, it's probably going to be Sabor. Of course, that was a test. Actually, that, I mean, you passed. <laughs> I mean, my, my wife and I went the first night. And I kept on saying, oh, I, I, you know, Matt keeps on talking about Sabor, and I've never tried it. And as soon as my wife had some of the guac, she was like, oh, now I know why Matt loves this place so much. <laughs> it's, just, it's just amazing. It is, absolutely. Uh, I, I, very, very, um, I, I almost said vastly underrated, but I'm not sure we're at that point anymore. But it is really great, so I agree with you about that. Um, so we talked about uh, Boleros, and we talked about you know back to back cruising, uh, you know, and and talking about you know Navigator the seas. Uh, what was your what was your take on the on the stateroom? What kind of stateroom did you have when you were on Navigator for your back to back? It was a balcony on. Was it the tenth? It was a balcony near the front of the ship. On the ninth or tenth floor, is it the ninth? It was a ninth floor on the ninth floor. So, 
we loved it. It, it you know, it, it we had enough space where if we wanted to go outside and sit in our balcony at night and just relax, we could do that. Um, we we just want this. We want to splurge when we go on these two week uh, vacations. And if I want to splurge, and the best thing to do is just sit, you know, get a balcony. Plus, if you go out at night, you can start seeing other ships. So it's pretty cool. Absolutely. Oh, I agree 100%. Uh, great, great point. Now, uh, Jose, before I let you go, we'd like to get to know everyone who's new to the podcast, as in new is first time on the podcast, and ask you some quick questions about how you cruise Royal Caribbean. And kind of just basically, I'm going to give you some questions. Give me the first thing that comes to your mind uh, when, it, when, you, uh, when you hear it. Sound good? Yep. Go right ahead. All right. Since you sailed on Navigator of the Seas, what is your best tip for someone going on Navigator for the first time? Um, go to the 70s party. That they have a, it's they have it on the Royal Promenade. It's a great show and it's a lot of fun and there's a whole bunch of people and it's it's a great ambiance and everyone's having a great time. So don't miss that. Absolutely. And support. And support. And support. <laughs> three times, like man. It. Two weeks. Three times. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, we talked about your favorite restaurant. How about your favorite restaurant on any Royal Caribbean ship? Now, it could be Sabor. This is another test, but um, I'm opening up to everything. Uh, during that, we went to the main dining room, Johnny Rockets, the steakhouse, the Italian restaurant, and Sabor. Uh, uh, any specialty restaurant, really. I, I, the only restaurant I wouldn't go to is Izumi, and that's only because I, I don't eat sushi, but... Any of these specialty restaurants, you, it's worth more. It's the value is more than what you're going to pay for. I mean, you're going to get you, you pay a certain amount, but just the value, it's just so much more. It's great. So I would definitely go and try a specialty restaurant, and if you can, book a three or two two night dining package. That's a great tip, by the way. The dining packages are really nice because it allows you to cut down on that cost of the restaurants versus buying them individually. And it gives you a little bit of flexibility, too. What I like about it also, Jose, I've learned, is that um, you don't have to commit to what you're booking when, like before your cruise, you know? You kind of get on board and then let you kind of – you can decide, oh, I really want to do you know, chops tonight. Okay, we've got a dining credit. Let's see if we can make that happen, which is nice, especially because, again, you're locking, you're getting a lower price. So it's nice to be able to have a little bit of flexibility in that regard. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, preferred drink while on a Royal Caribbean cruise? Uh, I actually tried the Labadoozy. On uh, when we went to Labadee the first week, so we oh. we I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> Good favorite port of call to visit. Uh, my wife would probably say Labadee. I I would say Cozumel probably, just because they're, they're, they're all inclusive. So, and they're both great places, no question about it. So I don't think you're both wrong. Although your wife is a little more right, so you can make her feel better about that. <laughs> And lastly, what is your favorite song on the radio or iPod today? It's more of a genre. I love listening to Spanish music. So anything that includes in in the Spanish genre of merengue, bachata, or salsa, I'll probably be listening to it. Awesome. Well, Jose, thank you so much for joining us here and talking a little World Cup and sharing your back-to-back cruising experience with us. Anytime, Matt. 
Thank you so much for joining me here on the Royal Command Blog Podcast. Love having you guys here. And, of course, every week we answer your listener emails, whether it's a question, a comment, anything on your mind about Royal Caribbean. I love to talk about it. And, of course, you can send me your emails by sending an email to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. We'll kick things off with an email from Mark Cavanaugh. All right, Matt. Just got off a seven-day cruise on Oasis of the Seas to the Eastern Caribbean. Had a great time. I'll send a full trip report in a week or so. But I do have a question that's bugging me about all my Royal Caribbean cruises we've ever taken. How does Royal Caribbean pick your luggage departure tag number? These are the tags you put on your luggage to leave outside your stateroom the night before your departure. We've had low numbers and high numbers. On our first cruise on Legend of the Seas, I think it was 11, and on Serenade around 25, Liberty was 33, and now on Oasis it was 42. The odd part is each cruise we booked a higher stateroom than the previous, interior to small ocean view, then to ocean's oversized ocean view room, and lastly a Central Park balcony. The cruise on the Oasis just made us platinum. Our next cruise is to Alaska on Radiance of the Seas in June with an ocean balcony room. So does that mean our next cruise, the number may go up or down? Is there a formula or is it random? I know we would go to customer service to get a lower tag number if we wanted to push it, but the lines on the other night, on the last night of the cruise are always very long. Is there an automated way to get the lower tag number without having to walk your off your own luggage or off the ship go super early? Mark, it's a great question. So, as Mark alluded to, these are the luggage tags you're going to get on the last night of your cruise. You affix them to your luggage. Your luggage. You put it out there in in the hallway. They pick it up. Now, there are many numbers, and the range of numbers depends on the ship you're on. Obviously, an Oasis class ship is going to have a much larger assortment of numbers. But generally speaking, the lowest numbers are picked first, and they go sequentially all the way up. And the 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 rationale behind it, or before, or the logic, or however you want to look at it is when your number is called, that means your luggage is ready. Meaning, you could get off the ship without your, I mean, before your number is called, but the issue would be that you'd be sitting around the terminal waiting for your luggage to be delivered because it hasn't been taken off the ship yet and delivered and cleared through customs and brought out for you to pick up. So they don't want people just standing around and clogging up the hallway, so instead they keep the guests on board the ship. Now, Mark wants to know, how do they figure out the number? How does Mark get, you know, number 42 and I may get number 17, right? There's a couple of factors. Number one, if you are staying in a suite or you are a certain level of crown and anchor society, you do get priority disembarkation. You get a lower number to begin with. Now, that's only for suites and and high tiers. In terms of your staterooms, Mark, be, be it an interior, ocean view, balcony, that actually doesn't really matter. In fact, it has no bearing on it. What it really has bearing on is Royal Caribbean is trying to prioritize folks that have to get off the ship versus folks that are kind of taking their sweet time. If you recall, before you ever step foot on a ship, you got to fill out those pre-cruise uh, documents, right? The, the set sail pass. And in the set sail pass, Royal Caribbean is going to ask you, what are your travel plans? Are you driving your own car? Are you flying? And it's going to ask you for the, what times and all that kind of stuff. And that's, from my understanding, that is the core basis of what time you Royal Caribbean thinks you need to get off the ship and then kind of backtracks that into a luggage tag number. So if you put on there you're driving your own car, they are going to assume you're on your own little schedule. You're not, you, don't, you don't have to be anywhere at a certain time necessarily. It's not always the case, of course, but you know what I mean. Versus being a flight, well, if your flight is at 10.30 in the morning, you got to be off the ship earlier. So that's kind of the logic behind how they do it. Is it a perfect system? No. And as you alluded to, Mark, yes, you can absolutely go down and get a lower uh, tag number if you need to or if you prefer to. It doesn't. You don't have to explain yourself. You can just simply say, "Hey, I got to be somewhere at this time," and you know, getting up, being in the nine o'clock hour is really not going to fly for me. Let them know that. Here's one alternative. Number one, speak to your stateroom attendant ahead of time. Sometimes they have lower tag numbers. Uh, it doesn't always work, but it can save you a, a trip to the line. 
in, because Mark is right. On that last day of uh, of your cruise, the line of guest services is always long. And the reason is because everybody waits to the last day to do everything. Not just luggage tags, but, you know, why did I, why are these charges here? Who bought all these drinks? You know, uh, I need cash. And, you know, and, and yes, uh, they, people want to put deposits down and, and, and settle their accounts. There's, oh, there's a thousand reasons and, the last day is always the the longest. So my advice, if you want to take, if you want to change your number, is actually go in the morning before everybody, because most people tend to start tackling this in the afternoon, and evening. But if you go in the morning, it's not too bad. Your other good time to try it out is obviously during dinner hours when most people are busy eating. Then they go back in line and and, and get in line there. Uh, it usually does move fairly quickly, and Roker I mean, does recognize this. They staff it more heavily, so they the line tends to move. I've been in that line before; it stinks, but. If you go earlier in the day, Mark, it's not a bad idea. So I guess what I'm trying to say, if you want a lower number, then what you should do is in that in that when you're filling out your set sale pass, let them know exactly what your travel plans are. And if you want to adjust the numbers accordingly to, to ensure that you understand you have to be somewhere, that's okay too. It's a matter they want to make you happy. They want, and I've never had any issues changing my number. I mean, they're very accommodating. They understand people have got schedules, and the system is just the system, right? It's it's a it's an algorithm or it's a guess, an educated guess as to. You know, somebody that's driving their own car and probably lives close to the port doesn't need to be off the ship nearly as early as somebody who needs to get to the airport and is flying to California, right? So there's a logic, better or worse, Mark. I hope that kind of gives you some some insight as to what that's all about. Our next email is from Colby, who writes, Hello, love the podcast. Learn something new about cruising on every episode. My fiance and I are planning to go to Anthem of the Seas for our honeymoon cruise after our wedding in April. Since we're getting married, her last name will be changing. It will be different from the name that is on the passport. Do we need to notify Royal Caribbean ahead of time? Or is there anything that you would recommend to do in order to avoid confusion on our day of departure? Thanks. All right, Kobe, this is an interesting question. I don't think we've tackled this one here. So here's the... I'm going to read you the rule that Royal Caribbean has posted on their website. If your name has changed since your document was issued, for example, for a marriage or divorce, it's required that you update the document with the new name or provide all official supporting documents like a state, county, or province-issued marriage license, divorce degree, or legal name change document of the name change. All documents must be original or notarized copy. Additionally, if you're using identification like a driver's license and a citizen job document like a birth certificate, then both documents must, must match the name on the reservation, otherwise it may result in a delay or possible denial of boarding. So here's your answer. I don't know, and you didn't indicate in the email, Kobe, how soon your wedding is from your from your wedding. Sorry, the wedding is from the honeymoon. I mean, sometimes, like, when I did it, we got married one day, and the next day we were on board the cruise. And as you know, the marriage ceremony has no actual legal bearing on anything. You have to go to the courthouse and change your name and all that. So the simple thing to do, if, you're, if your honeymoon is literally right next to your wedding, is don't change your name until after the wedding, until after the honeymoon, right? Go on the cruise, enjoy your cruise, come back, and then change your name officially, legally, by going to your, you know, little, uh, your county office or where, city hall, wherever it is people change their names these days. That's probably your best thing to do. Now, if there's a sizable gap, if you're getting married and you said your wedding is in April and your cruise on Anthem of the Seas is not until later, much later, and you're planning to change your name in the meantime, then you either want to make sure you take enough time to, again, update those documents like your passport or you need to bring the supporting documents. You need to bring the marriage license with you to prove that you did change your name. Uh, that would probably be your best thing. I would advise you one way or the other to make sure that, assuming if your names don't line up between the reservation and your set sail pass and your 
official documents, right? Your, your, your state issued documents, then you should bring as much documentation as possible. I think a marriage certificate, as is pointed out here in this, in the legalese that I read to you, should suffice. I, that should probably happen. But again, I, probably in a perfect world in this situation, you would wait to change your name until after the cruise. But again, if there's a big gap between your wedding and your honeymoon, I get that. And no one's, you know, got, you know, people t- want to change your name and get it done with. So, uh, you might just bring enough supporting documentation, but it sounds like all you need is really just the the proof of change that the fact that your name, you know, your last name used to be Jones and now it's Smith. As long as you have the the document to prove that, that's great. Also, the other thing to keep in mind also is you could change the name on the on the reservation, right? So if you know your name is changing, let your travel agent know. Tell them, hey, look, my name at the time of the cruise, my name is going to be so and so. They don't. It doesn't really matter in the system. It's just names in there. It's just a matter of them. They all have to line up, right? The reservation. Set sail, pass, and of course the uh, supporting documentation, your, your passport or what have you. So as long as you got all that lined up, that's probably the best thing to do. So I hope that answered your question there. I gave you two, I think, decent options, and um, hopefully that works out for you. <laughs> good, good luck with it, and congratulations on getting married. What a great opportunity. Next, we have an email from uh, Jeff. Matt, found your blog a couple weeks ago, and you do a great job. Thank you. Heading out on Oasis of the Season a couple weeks. And I had a couple specially dining questions. My son is 10, so he qualifies for a lower fee to eat, but is he then required to order off the kids' menu? He eats like an adult now and rarely orders from the kids' menu anymore. Also, if you book a three-night specialty dining package, can you pay an upcharge to have the hibachi dinner at Izumi? Thanks so much. I am definitely jealous of your fantastic radio voice. Why, thank you very much, Jeff. <laughs> These are good questions, actually. So, Jeff is right. Uh, kids can order off, or kids get a discounted rate at the specialty restaurants, but they can order off any of the menus, actually. There is a special special kids menu, but my understanding of it, Jeff, is they can order off anything. The idea being they're just not going to eat as much as an adult, so why charge them an adult price? I mean, just simple logic, right? And also, most kids probably don't eat many of the same things adults do, so that's why they tend to offer a kids menu at the specialty restaurants. So, I think you'll be okay. I would definitely double check with them when you get to the when you get there and let them know, hey, I'm, you know, my here's my son. He's ten years old. We're only paying the, you know, we're paying the kids rate right here, which is wonderful. Just want to make sure he can order the whatever, you know. There's some, probably something on the menu he's interested in. Now, in terms of the three night specialty dining package, can you eat at Izumi's Hibachi? So the, on Oasis class ships. There is not only Izumi with the, all the amazing sushi, which I absolutely love and can't get enough of. They actually have added a hibachi option, which is really cool. If this is the Teppan-style dining where you basically all you sit in front of the – or sit all around a large cooking area. And the chef comes out and cooks the food in front of you. There's a, bit, there's a lot of uh, tricks. It's, you know, it's like a Benihana experience. I'm sure you've seen it or been there many times in your life. But it is a really cool thing, and it's something a lot of fun. And many people have been loving this. Now, here's the deal. With Izumi in general, when you're on a dining package, Royal Caribbean is going to give you a $30 credit towards whatever you're eating at at Izumi. Whether it's sushi, the hibachi, doesn't matter. You're just getting a flat $30 dining credit. So, you can certainly put it towards that. And last I checked, I believe there were two dinner op- basic dinner options. One was $35 and one was $45. So... That's basically, so obviously with that, you'd be on the hook for 5 or $15, depending on which one you, you picked. And, um, you know, it's, uh, but that's how it works. That's the basic, how the dining package work at Izumi. At other restaurants, like if there's a cover charge, well, then it's just included. But since Izumi is, is an a la carte restaurant, they just give you a flat fee and that kind of covers it there. I, the question then, of course, is, well, is it a good value? Should I use the dining credit at the hibachi or should I go and pay cash? 
I generally think it's probably still a good idea to, to use the dining credit. I mean, that be, I, I generally feel like even though you're paying a little bit more, the $5 or $15, it's still a better deal than, you know, uh, I would say paying it all out of pocket. Unless, of course, you're, you're hard-pressed for other restaurants and you want to go eat a Chops Grill again or something that's going to cost you more than that. Then you can make an argument for that sake. But, yeah, you can you can eat there. You'll get the $30 credit. And then anything on top of that, of the $30 per person, by the way, is, uh, is you know, on your own. So it's a good question. Thank you for sharing, Jeff. And let's go to our next question. It is from Stephen, who writes, Love listening to your podcast. They always help me get excited for my next cruise. You've answered many questions to help me plan fun activities as I listen. It's also a great fun to listen to other Royal Caribbean fans. Thanks for all your work. I have a question regarding the Crown and Anchor complimentary coupons. My wife and I are almost a diamond status. Our next cruise will qualify us. We don't drink alcohol, but we do enjoy frozen drinks like non-alcoholic strawberry daiquiris, lava flows, pina coladas, etc. My question is whether or not the drink coupons will be accepted for such non-alcoholic frozen drinks. I've read posts on RoyalCommonBlog.com, and it doesn't look like they're explicitly allowed, but these are non-alcoholic drinks. They usually go for about $750 or so when purchased, so I'm hopeful the bartenders will make an exception. Boy, that's a good question, Stephen. And... My inclination, I don't know the answer because I haven't tried this personally. My inclination is, is not. Generally speaking, they don't include frozen drinks at all. And if you're wondering what the heck is the diamond drink coupons, when you reach diamond status or above, so that's diamond, diamond plus, or pinnacle in Royal Caribbean's Crown and Anchor Society, each evening of your cruise, you will receive three complimentary drinks to enjoy in the evening, usually between like 4 and 8 or 5 and 8.30, something like that. And these are for certain drinks. These are, And there's actually a specific menu that is uh, offered. You've got, basically, you're going to have uh, a lot of basic drinks, not frozen, no cocktails. So you're going to have, you know, rum or gin, vodka, Chardonnay, Zinfandel, Merlot, Budweiser, Corona, Heineken. You can certainly mix them with some, like you can get like gin and tonic, rum and coke, those kinds of drinks, but you're not getting cocktails. Trust me, I have tried many times to get a frozen cocktail. And it's unfortunately why I don't get, I don't usually take advantage of the complimentary drink coupons, even though I am a Diamond member, because I I like my girly drinks. <laughs> I, I make no qualms about it. I tried, I stopped trying to be cool a long time ago. And, you know, I, and that's why I kind of gravitate towards the drink package. Whereas my wife doesn't mind, you know, a nice Bailey's and uh, Bailey's on the rocks. So, it kind of depends what you're looking for. So, Stephen, if I were you, I would not plan on it. Now, is there anything? Is there any harm with asking? No, because you bring up a good point. the The cost of you know a lava flow with alcohol is going to be significantly more than a virgin drink. But there've always there's always been that line in the sand about the about the about the frozen drinks in general, Stephen. So that's why I'm kind of leaning towards no. I actually don't know the answer. I could certainly ask. Of course, as you know, Stephen, if you're listening to this episode. On the uh, week it comes out, which of course, why wouldn't you? I'm on board Navigator that sees right now. Yay! And uh, I can certainly aspire to ask them uh, about that option. Uh, I think it's going to be one of those your mileage may vary. You might find a bartender who's sympathetic and say, yeah, sure, no problem at all. But I know that a lot of it, the issue is not so much the bartender's willingness one way or the other. It's that the way it rings up in the system, right? Uh, as an example, when I went to use a diamond drink coupon on a recent Harmony of the Seas cruise, I was there like 10 minutes before the diamond time started. I kind of thought, hey, who, you know, it's close enough. But they said, no, you got to wait 10 minutes because if I ring it up in the system now, it's going to charge you for it. But if you wait 10 minutes, it will be for free. And I was like, okay, then I'll be waiting 10 minutes. <laughs> so 
I think they, their hands may be tied, but it doesn't hurt to ask, and I certainly will try to do that, Stephen. I know it's a very long-winded way of saying I don't know, <laughs> but I'm not afraid to say I don't know, and I hopefully will get the uh, correct information for you uh, out there. Next email from our good friend Murph, who writes, I love the idea of hand-washing stations outside the windjammer. air. have been on a norovirus cruise, and I've learned the value of hand-washing during the cruise. I also have a tip. When using the elevator buttons, use either the room card or your elbow or even your rear end to hit the button. Using your elbows or any other closed portion of your, clothed portion of your body for, uh, for any open doors, keep up the great podcast. And it is a really good idea. And he's talking, this is just about, you know, cleanliness and, and avoiding germs in general. I've been on one cruise that had a neurovirus outbreak as well. This was Quantum of the Seas a number of years ago. And I was really amazed by how well Royal Caribbean's crew worked to essentially sanitize that ship. They did an amazing job. But in general, you're right. You don't want to use your fingers to hit common area things like buttons on elevators and opening doors and, and whatnot. The reason being, of course, there's that's an easy way to spread germs because you, your finger touches it. And then inevitably, like five minutes later, you're putting your finger in your mouth or on your face or, you know, it's it's just an easy thing. Where's your elbow? I don't know about you guys. I don't really put my elbow in my in my mouth or <laughs> or use my elbow to caress my children, right? It's a fair idea. I think it's actually, it's easier said than done. I always find, like, I do it, it just instinctively, right? You're going to hit the elevator button. You, you have to mentally think about it. And, you know, eventually it becomes second nature. But it does require some effort. But it's a good idea, Murph. And thank you uh, very much for... For sharing that, and I do agree. I like the hand washing stations. I know it takes longer, but the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in the United States, proves that if you if you take time to wash your hands, wash your hands. Sorry, uh, with with warm water and soap. Ooh, CDC is contacting me. They will. Uh, it, it's a much more effective, and probably the most effective way to combat the spread of germs in general and any kind of those kind of diseases that can spread from from person to person. And these are available on certain Royal Caribbean ships. Sometimes you don't have that, and you have the, the hand sanitizer, which is better than nothing, don't get me wrong. But yes, wash your hands as much as possible. Uh, and I, I always tell my children when we're on board the, the cruise, hey, look, you got to wash your hands more often than we usually do, even at home, because I don't. no one wants to get sick on board their ship, right? Uh-huh. It's not fun. So do what you can. And yeah, it takes an extra two minutes, but to me it's worth it because I'd rather enjoy my entire cruise and not be uh, sick at any point. So... Washing your hands with warm soap and water, and obviously hand sanitizer doesn't help, doesn't hurt either. is a great strategy. So thank you very much, Murph. And I think we'll wrap things up with one more email here, and it's from Ray and Dawn, aka Razor Ray. Reds Matt, great to email you once again with some thoughts on my five night cruise on Independence of the Seas out of Fort Lauderdale. We did our embarkation from Terminal 18 on Monday mornings, uh, just before this, but the sailing before had some sick people, so extra cleaning was needed before we boarded. We finally got on board about 12.30 and headed straight to the Windjammer. The ship was huge. Windjammer could handle the 4,000 passengers on board coming and going with full plates of food, and in the morning, they opened Giovanni's seating for overflow to anyone. Our first stop was Labadee, which is my favorite time visiting, and didn't disappoint. The group and I had three cabanas rented number had three cabanas rented number nine and ten on the beach and one over the water, which is amazing. I also had my first Labadoozy, and then my second, and then my third. <laughs> the uh, personal bar service was excellent. Our second stop was Falmouth, Jamaica, which was great to get off the ship and shop the market, and it was a beautiful day, so I enjoyed the rest of my day poolside on the ship. Personal thoughts. Independence is a very large ship, 150,000 gross tons, which equals 300 million pounds. The room attendant, bar staff, cleaning staff, and support staff were incredible. However, our main dining room staff was below Rokerman standards, but food was delicious. 
Entertainment on board was fantastic, with the great lounge acts as a Beatles tribute band playing in the main theater, and then the headliner Grease, the Broadway musical. Disembarkation was done out of Terminal 25 because Harmony was in 18, but this made Disembarkation a bit crazy with huge lines and long walks to customs. Overall, great ship, but makes me want to book Freedom of the Seas, as everyone I said talked said that Freedom was the better ship. Thanks for all you do as I write this email. It's only 17 days until my first group cruise. How exciting for a cruise junkie. Ray, thank you for the email. Great thoughts, and I tend to agree with a lot of what you were saying there. I agree about the cabanas. I love the cabanas. Yes. And it's interesting you mentioned that Giovanni's table is open for overflow to anyone. When we were on Freedom of the Seas, it was only open to Diamond members and above. Um, but it's still nice to have that option. Always look for it. You'll see, basically, when you walk in on Freedom-class ships, uh, Giovanni's table is located as you're walking into the Windjammer. It's on the left. Chops Girl is on the right. Usually, Chops Girl is reserved for sweet guests. But Giovanni's, as you've heard from Ray and myself, can be used for overflow from either Diamond members or everybody in this case. So, uh, and you know, the I, I think a lot of what you were mentioning here was was really uh, good to share, and I, I like the uh, that a lot of the staff was working. And I would tell you that you know, if you're the main dining server staff wasn't what you're liking, I hope Ray, uh-huh. you took the time to let the head waiter know the, the issues specifically that were bothering you because you're entitled to a great cruise as you should at impression. And if something's not to your liking, whether they're too fast, too slow. Uh, uh, missing something, let them know because they can only improve that way. Don't suffer. Whether it's a four-night cruise or a nine-night cruise, doesn't matter. You want to make sure you're having a great time on there, and they want to improve. They want to make sure you're having a good time too. So it's not, it's not personal. You just want, you know, it's 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 beneficial for both sides if you uh, share that. So good stuff, Ray. Thank you for the email. Thank you to everybody for joining us here on this week's episode. And, of course, I want to hear from you. If you've got a question about Royal Caribbean or anything on your mind, let's talk about it right here on the podcast. Send me an email, Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. And don't forget your name and town so I can say where you're from. Otherwise, I will make it up. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a great week. And we'll talk again very soon right here on the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. <laughs>